is Craig Brown and welcome to Passages. Passages is a space to explore Bible passages used in churches for preaching, reflection, and prayer. My hope is that Passages will shine a unique light on text used in the lectionary in the coming weeks. Today's passage is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 39 to 45. It happens to be the reading for the fourth Sunday of Advent in the year C cycle of the lectionary. It happens to be the scripture reading for December 19, 2021. This text in Luke's gospel tells us about the meeting that occurs between Elizabeth, who is the mother of John the Baptist, and Mary, who of course will be the mother of Jesus. Both of these women have a similar experience. Both of them were found with child in extraordinary situations. For Elizabeth, that meant that she found herself with child at an age well past childbearing years for most women. And Mary found herself with child even before she's married to Joseph as a very young woman. Mary receives the announcement from the angel Gabriel about not only her own pregnancy, but also that of Elizabeth. And so Mary goes to visit Elizabeth, recognizing that Elizabeth hasn't received any message about Mary being pregnant. She has only received a message about her own. Now, Mary makes this journey before she's married to Joseph. So to be clear, the angel Gabriel appears to her in Nazareth. But before she's married to Joseph, she travels to Elizabeth's home to meet her. There's a variety of locations that are speculated um, for Elizabeth's home, where she and Zechariah lived. Uh, but the traditional location is in a place called Ein Karim, about five miles outside of Jerusalem, which makes some sense because Zechariah functioned as a priest in the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. So he would likely would have lived in a location somewhat proximate to that. So when he had his duty rotation in the temple, he was able to get there easily. Now for Mary, this would have been about an 80 to 100 mile journey from Nazareth all the way down to potentially Ein Karim, where Elizabeth lives. This would take Mary probably anywhere from three to four days to make. Now, Mary's visit to Elizabeth is not about a need to confirm Gabriel's message to her. It actually is about blessing Elizabeth. So to be clear, Mary doesn't go to Elizabeth because she wants to make sure that what the angel Gabriel told her is true. No, she goes to Elizabeth because, remember, Elizabeth didn't receive any word about her pregnancy. There was no angel that appeared to her, only to her husband, to Zechariah. So Mary goes to share this word of her pregnancy with Elizabeth, and that Mary's visit to Elizabeth is in many ways a form of generosity to Elizabeth, to encourage her, to help her experience the same kind of joy that Mary has about being part of this great story that God is telling through both of these women. Now, when the the two women meet, it says that uh, the baby in Elizabeth's womb leapt. And that's, of course, John the Baptist leaps in the womb, this leap of joy as she's carrying this child. This is not uncommon in the Old Testament. There's a, a uncommon in the Bible, I mean. There, there's a number of stories about these kind of prenatal encounters. Uh, namely, you might remember the most famous one of all is that during the birth of Jacob and Esau, that Esau was born first, but Jacob had grabbed onto his heel practically when they were born. So the, the competitive nature of their relationship already existed. 
So these stories about uh, unborn children kind of connecting or meeting or leaping is not an uncommon story within Jewish literature. But really what this is about is about God's gracious act that's happening in this moment. It's a shared experience between Mary and Elizabeth. And that's really the key passageway here for us, is that shared experiences result in shared blessings. Mary's visit gives Elizabeth's experience meaning and direction. Our stories and our narratives bless others, even when we don't know they're coming. Remember, no one appeared to Elizabeth to tell her that she was going to have a child and the significance of that child. The angel appeared to Zechariah, but as we're going to hear in a minute, Zechariah was somewhat unbelieving when the angel appeared, and he lost his ability to talk because of that. So Elizabeth has had no information about what's happening to her and what's going on. And so Mary coming to her and sharing her experience brings a shared blessing to Elizabeth. Our stories and narratives bless others, even when we don't know they're coming. And so the work we have to do as individuals is to be transparent about the Spirit's work within us. God is at work, and we need to trust that the same God in our story is the same God at work in other people's stories, and that together we're all a part of God's great story. Now, while these two women have a shared experience, what's happening to them is, um, how could we say, a part of divergent meanings, that this meeting together represents a juxtaposition, that Elizabeth of the two, between Mary and Elizabeth, Elizabeth is far the older, far the older person in this encounter. She's well beyond childbearing age, we hear in the biblical text. So her conception... Um, aligns to other stories in the Bible. We know other women who are well beyond the age in which they could conceive a child did so, namely uh, Sarai, or Sarah, uh, who would then ultimately give birth to um, the entire patriarchal line in Jewish history. So Elizabeth is the older of the two, and the child in her womb, John the Baptist, he represents, in many ways, the last prophet and he is the ending of one age. Whereas Mary, on the other hand, is by far the younger. She is even perhaps well before the socially appropriate childbearing age. And so her conception aligns to other stories too. As a matter of fact, toward the end of this first chapter in the Gospel of Luke, there's a song that Mary lifts up that Luke records. It's called the Magnificat. And it's based upon the song of Hannah that is told in the book of 1 Samuel when she finds herself pregnant and going to then give birth to who would be the last judge and the first prophet named Samuel. John the Baptist is older than Jesus, yet he bears witness to Jesus as the younger. So if we just kind of look at these stories in terms of the age sequencing and the meaningfulness of the roles these two children will ultimately have, that the hierarchy is all out of order, if you will. And what this is to say is that there's divergent meanings in what's going on here. And Elizabeth, she recognizes this reality, that she knows that the child Mary is carrying is greater than that of her own. And she owns this. So when Mary first comes to Elizabeth's home, 
it says that Elizabeth cries out. It's a very strange expression that Luke uses in that particular verse. And when she cries out, it was loud, it was public, it was open, it was clear. And then she even goes on to say in uh, this particular text, in verse 43, and how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? You see, Elizabeth understands quite clearly who she is in the story and what part she now plays in the story because Mary has come to her. John, it says, leaps for joy in her womb. There's a recognition that Mary and her child are bringing something worthy and important and significant. There's divergent meanings here. What, what Elizabeth represents in, even in her advanced age and the son that she would give birth to is the ending of one age. And Mary represents the dawn of a new age, the age in which Jesus will come and bring about the redemption of all things. It's a, a pivotal moment, moment for these two women with divergent meanings. That opens up the key passageway to us here, that God calls us to own our story as part of God's great story. You see, Elizabeth may not know the whole story, but she knows her part in the story. Her part may not be the greatest part of the story in terms of the most well-known part of the story, but she understands that that greater story doesn't happen without her. So seeing our lives and our stories as part of the great story God is telling is key. We each have a place in that story that God is calling us to occupy and be in. We just need to remember that it's God's great story that we're a part of, not just our own great story. This text in Luke chapter 1 comes to a conclusion before the great Magnificat, the Song of Mary, by talking about this blessing that's going on in the story. The word blessed or blessing occurs quite a few times in this short text from verse 39 to verse 45. Elizabeth is often referred to as blessing Mary when she arrives, but I'd invite you to read the text carefully. At no point does it say that Mary, that Elizabeth blessed Mary. It rather says that she affirms Mary's blessedness. Look at the text carefully. It says in verse 41, When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with joy in the Holy Spirit, and she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. She's affirming Mary's blessedness, not actually blessing her. Just as a, a point of departure here, in case you were wondering, the entire text of the Hail Mary, which is commonly part of a Roman Catholic uh, a ritual and practice, that entire text, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you, that is all lifted from biblical material, all of it. And a significant portion of that is lifted from this particular text in Luke chapter 1. Elizabeth affirms this blessing of Mary or Mary's blessedness for two clear reasons. The first, she says, is that blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. So the blessing of Mary has to do with the fact of who Mary is carrying in her womb. She carries Jesus. So that's the first reason. The second reason Elizabeth says that Mary is blessed is in verse 45. And blessed is she who believed 
there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. The second reason Mary's blessed is because she believed. So number one, Mary's blessed because she carries Jesus. Number two, Mary is blessed because she believed the message that was given to her. And in Luke's version of this entire story, Mary's belief is somewhat contrasted with Zechariah's unbelief. Zechariah being Elizabeth's husband, the priest, who when he was first told of John the Baptist uh, coming through Elizabeth's pregnancy, didn't believe that it actually could happen. You see, the circumstances of Mary's pregnancy with Jesus are ill-timed, and it engenders all sorts of social scorn and marginalization. Now, Elizabeth never mentions any of this. Her response to Mary is wonder. And so when we look at the story of Mary and her pregnancy, she's very, very young. She's only betrothed, but not married yet, and she finds herself pregnant. This just engenders all sorts of social scorn and marginalization that Mary willingly and fully steps into. She doesn't hide it. She doesn't deny it. She simply steps into this reality knowing how people are going to be looking at her as a woman who is pregnant that is not yet married. And see, there's something here that's happening in the text that's important to recognize, that the issue here is not about the process, because everything about this process is wrong. There's no reason why Elizabeth should be pregnant at her age. There's no reason why Mary should be pregnant without being married. There's all sorts of problems, sociologically speaking, with the process here. There's all sorts of reasons, biologically speaking, about the process here, not to mention Mary's conception without having been with Joseph in a way that would allow her to conceive. This is about not the process, it's about the product. You see, Zechariah, for example, Elizabeth's husband, he's a priest. So if there should have been anyone in this story who is a believing agent or a faithful agent, you would think the priest would be one, but he's practically unbelieving when the message of John's conception comes to him. But yet Mary, from an obscure village in the north who's unmarried, who's quite young, Yet she believes when the message is brought to her. This rich blessing that Mary has, that Elizabeth affirms, is not just about the fact that Mary carries Jesus. Yes, that's true. But it's also about how Mary believed when there was no reason to believe at all. That opens up the key passageway for us here. That for us today... And for Christians for centuries, the place of Mary has been a point of of, uh, uh, confusion at times and even controversy, especially between Protestants and Catholics and Orthodox. I think what this text is telling us, and I think what we can read in the New Testament, is that Mary in many ways is the example of Christian faith in its fullness. You see, in the social realm, Mary embraces a scandalous pregnancy. In a relational realm, Mary shares this story with other people in order to share that blessing with them as she's sharing this story with Elizabeth. There's a a theological piece to this in that Mary allows her son, Jesus, to become that which God has called him to be. And in many ways, Elizabeth allows her son to be the very same thing. There's a physical and spiritual dimension 
that Mary conceives Jesus. She nurtures Jesus in her womb and gives birth to Jesus in the world. This, in many ways, is the very model that we are to follow as followers of Jesus, that, that Christ is conceived in us, nurtured in us, and we give birth to Christ in the world. Protestants have perhaps been too quick to diminish the courage, the vision, the leadership of Mary and of even Elizabeth, that these two women demonstrate for us the very nature of what it means to be Christ followers in fullness. And perhaps they are the individuals that we should be thinking about imitating as they experience the grace of God in their lives. That's it for this week. I bid you all grace. Thanks for listening. And I wish you all a blessed feast of the nativity. Thanks be to God. Amen. <laughs>